0: The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for those in prison to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting for the Lord, for the display of his splendor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel the worship, the testimonies, everything already has gone much better than me and before me and I think I'm hoping and praying that what I have to share this morning dovetails in helpfully but who was I quoting there who was talking who was doing the talking there any ideas shout it out Isaiah anyone else Jesus anyone else Us, a little us from over there. Wonderful. That's exactly right. We're going to look at each of those in turn in a minute. You know, this morning, I feel like I've been entrusted with the crown jewels. Not only is this a significant passage in the Bible that we're looking at today, but it's also precious to us as a local church. 36 years ago, a few from New Life Church Biggin Hill met to pray about a new church they wanted to see start in the village of Tatsfield. And as they prayed, someone read out Isaiah 61 verse 3. They shall be called Oaks of Righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And what they shared in that little prayer meeting has gone on to shape the prophetic vision of who we are today as King's Church, these 30 plus years on. Maybe with the added poignancy years later when they moved their Sunday venue to Oxted, called uh, or named after the place of the oak, as Oxted means. But it continues to live with us as a church, so much so that we included it in our most recent uh, vision booklet published a couple of years ago. Do take one if you haven't got, got it. There it is, Oaks of Righteousness, 1983, and it's still living with us. I have to confess to you, though, I haven't got a great track record when it comes to the crown jewels. Um, We went, like many of you do, to the Tower of London one day for a nice family day out, and we shuffled past the armed guards, uh, and we lined up and got our little moment glancing past the cabinets containing the Queen's bling, the crowns and the tiaras and the orbs and everything else that she brings out at parties. And then we got to the other side. It was all over in a moment, really. And being a good dad, I'd packed a packed lunch. So there we were in the courtyard of uh, the Tower of London, and I got my rucksack out and handed round the homemade sandwiches and the other goodies that I had packed, thinking I was doing my uh, best with them. But the look of horror on my family's face is something I can still picture. As I got my apple out to eat, and you know the best way of eating an apple is to get a sharp knife from the kitchen drawer and to slice crunchy bits of the apple off and eat it. Why are they looking at me like this? What's wrong? I mean, it's the best way of eating an apple. I don't want to you know, bite into it with my teeth. It just tastes nicer. But the thought that I'd gone through all that security with a kitchen knife in my bag, (laughs) I think had filled them with a bit of dread. Uh, And there were still some, what what do you call them, there were still some of those guys in the red and the hats walking around. Um, uh, Beefeaters, they're the ones, yeah. Hopefully, I will handle the crown jewels a bit, a bit, with a bit more care uh, this morning for us. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this passage and the way in the past it shaped us as a church. And I thank you, Lord, for the, the things we've been looking at over recent weeks about our discipleship and growing in you and this promise you've made to us more recently and specifically of an anointing to come of your spirit upon us to bring freedom and release and healing. And Father, I pray in the vein of what you're already doing this morning, would you speak to us through this scripture again? Would you help us to grow into it, to respond to it, and to see your glory increase upon the earth in Jesus' name? Amen. Okay, so if you've got a Bible, look up Isaiah chapter 61. That's where we are. It will come up behind me if my head's not in the way. Uh, You can look at that as well. So at one level, of course, as you said, it's Isaiah who's doing the talking here. He was one of God's prophets to the Israelites, and he wrote this around 2,700 years ago. Although he was speaking in the first person, so he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. He isn't speaking for himself. He's, if you like, personifying the one that he's prophesying about. It's a style that he has of prophecy. He uses it a few times in his big long book that's in the heart of our Bible. This is one of those occasions. It's a style thing. I guess it's rather than him declaring, God's anointed one is coming. It's rather than him saying, my anointed one is coming, says the Lord. It's an alternative to that. He stepped into the shoes of the anointed one and is now speaking on his behalf. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. That's what he's doing. In fact, he's bursting into song. The song of the anointed one. It's got poetry. It's got lyric. It's got a meter. It's got rhythm. It's got kind of sense of music about it. He's giving voice to the Messiah who was to come. Messiah, Hebrew meaning anointed one. He's giving voice to the Messiah, the Christ in Greek, anointed one. He's personifying him. And before we look at who else is talking here, I just want to highlight a couple of things. Firstly, it's a freedom song. The theme of this song is freedom. It's all about freedom. And if you went back another 750 years to 1450 BC, roughly, before Christ, Then Moses had led the Israelites out of years of slavery through the Red Sea, miraculously, through the desert, into the wilderness. And he was leading them. He went up Mount, Mount Sinai and, res, and met with God and received the law that they were to live by as a nation, returned and explained it all to them. And one of those instructions was to celebrate the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, on the 50th year, in a sense, it was a radical economic policy for the nation to follow. That on the 50th year, they were to stop, they were to rest again, and they were to restore everything. Every debt, every financial debt was to be cancelled. Every person who found themselves in slavery was to be set free. It wasn't a bankruptcy system. You couldn't declare yourself bankruptcy. If you had nothing left, you would have to sell yourself into slavery. That was all ended on the 50th year. All property that had changed hands, whether willingly or unwillingly, all the land that had been kind of changed had to be restored to the original owners. It was as if everything was on like a 50-year lease. And there was a moment when all those leases came to an end and restoration came. It was a year of amazing favor, of amazing grace for the people that maybe almost everybody, at least once in their lifetime, would have experienced. And the lyrics of our song today from Isaiah 61 draw heavily from that kind of heritage from almost another millennia beforehand. The phrase to proclaim freedom or to proclaim liberty in verse 1 It comes directly from the description about the year of Jubilee. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 25 verse 10 in the early part of our Bible. It says this. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land and for all its inhabitants. Exactly the same phrase. But even the fact it's, it's known as the year of the Lord's favor, that middle sentence in verse 2, as a summary really, it's very similar to the year of jubilee. The year of, the year of grace, the year of restoration, the year of jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. In fact, um, preaching from this passage today has even added poignancy for us as a family. Because only a week ago today, my wife Caroline here celebrated her 50th birthday. <laughs> hey, hey! <laughs> How's that song go? No, let's Yeah, so I wouldn't highlight it otherwise, you know. But a week after, and the Lord set me up to speak on this. I mean, it was his, I didn't choose this passage. I was asked to preach on this this week. Interestingly, God is speaking to us on themes of freedom in our own lives. So it does carry some weight. God set us up here for something to receive. The second theme I want to highlight to you uh, from what Isaiah said was transformation. The passage speaks of total transformation. There's a before and there's an after, and they're totally uh, in contrast. Before, they were poor. They were brokenhearted. They were captive. They were imprisoned. But after... They received good news. They were bound up, as you might, a wound to try and heal it and restore it. They're set free. They're released. Before, they're sad. So many words for sad. He's running out of them at the end of this passage. They mourned. They grieved. They smeared ashes on their head uh, as they did as an act of sorrow. They they had despair hanging round them like a smell. But after, they were comforted. They were provided for they were crowned with beauty they had the oil of joy this garment of praise such a contrast this isn't just a makeover like one of those makeover programs uh, with with what you wear or how your house looks it's not just kind of covering up the cracks this is total transformation can't DIY this So there's Isaiah talking, but we need to look again at who else is talking here, and it is Jesus. You noted that, some of you. Jesus is doing the talking here. He is the anointed one. This is his song. I remember some of you might when Jose Mourinho arrived at Chelsea in 2004, the first time round, to be their manager. Football I'm talking about. Some of you have switched off. Don't know what I'm talking about. I know. And he, he proclaimed himself the special one. And the kind of tag stuck. And it worked well through those glory years. Maybe one of the most successful football managers for a while. But maybe if you know anything of it, the last three clubs he's been at some success, but he's left a legacy of destruction and division and, uh, and dysfunction. Maybe his claim has been undermined well in contrast jesus this jewish builder bloke son of joe he was known as locally returned to his hometown little place up the north nazareth around 27 a.d and he announced himself in this little synagogue as god's anointed one And I'll suggest to you, his legacy has and will continue to uphold his claim. You see, they'd heard reports of their son, of Joe, as he traveled round on tour in the countryside roundabout. They'd heard of these amazing teachings, of these remarkable miracles. And so when he came back home again, they invited him, come and preach our synagogue. You come every week anyway, come and tell us. And they handed him the book, or the scroll rather, and Jesus had the, the scroll of Isaiah in his hands. And he looked up what we now know as number 61. I don't think it had the numbers then. And he looked up this section and he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what he said. And Luke records it for us in his account in chapter four. And it goes on and it says that after that, he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant who had a little job to kind of look after the scrolls. And he sat down. Apparently that's how they preached in those days. I'm going to carry on and do the same. No, I'll be all right. I better stand here. Culture and all that, it's important. Uh, And then he said a remarkable thing. He said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow, what a claim. Excuse me. Some see that as Jesus declaring his mandate, what he'd come to do. I think it's also him declaring his identity, who he is. The eyes of everyone, as you can imagine, were fixed on him. A Jaws were dropping. He went on to say some more things. In the end, actually, they were so offended by what he said, they drove him out of town. They took him to the edge of a cliff. They were going to push him off and kill him. But God enabled him to just kind of slip away safely. Two things strike me about what Jesus said in using Isaiah chapter 61 and Luke chapter 4. It will come up behind me. It's probably a bit small But you'll see the two passages side by side. I just thought it was interesting. Firstly, Jesus stops mid-sentence. So I've highlighted here in the Luke passage where Jesus is speaking, he ends to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, full stop. But in the Isaiah passage, it's a comma. It doesn't stop there. By not proclaiming the day of vengeance of our God, Jesus was splitting his two, his anointed role into two, into two appearances. So when Jesus came 2,000 years ago to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, we're still living in that. It wasn't a literal calendar year. It's, it's, it's a long season of favor of God. It's the whole of AD history since Jesus came until he will return. Jesus is still totally transforming lives in 2019. This is our day. This is our year, rather. This is the time in which we live. One day, he will return. He will come again. And his anointed role will continue, and he will proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. And on that day, he will judge the world and everyone who's ever lived in it. That's the first thing. The second thing I want to highlight, it might not show up too well, but some of these are phrases in red, some of them are in green. He doesn't exactly quote Isaiah 61. And for some of us, detail is important. Uh, and we need to loosen up okay yes why why Jesus did you not do that Jesus skipped to bind up the brokenhearted what's wrong with the brokenhearted I don't want them to miss out and he swapped release from darkness for the prisoners for recovery of sight for the blind which is actually from Isaiah 42 verse 7 and he's put in to set the oppressed free which is from Isaiah 58 verse 6 and I don't think this is lost in translation I think this is Jesus expounding the heart of the text, the meaning of what was already there. So we're not to read this as a separate list of items. Oh, Jesus has come with a bit of good news for the poor. That's nice for the poor, isn't it? Yeah, the poor don't get much, but they've got some good news. He's not like listing it out. Oh, and there's some brokenhearted, uh, 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 and I'm going to come and bind up some of them. They're not like separate niche little groups in the universe that God has got a different kind of solution for. He, he's not trying to convey that kind of thing it's, there's one big concept here there's the big idea the anointed one jesus has come to totally transform lives every single one of them he is coming to solve the deep the fundamental the underlying spiritual condition of humanity he's not come just to simply if you like Do the physical thing here and the emotional thing here. Just solve the symptoms of a few. He's coming to do something much deeper than that. So if it's poverty we're stuck in, well, yes, it's spiritual poverty. We've got nothing, nothing to buy God's favor. Nothing that he would value uh, eternally. If it's blindness we're suffering, yes, it's it's a spiritual blindness. We We don't realize how depraved we are before our holy God. If it's in prison we're in, it's it's a spiritual prison. Locked up in Satan's grasp, whether we realized it or not. And the good news is that Jesus, the anointed one, has come with his freedom song to solve all of that. That big thing. And he's ready and he's able to totally transform lives. Where are you then in this song? If you're in Christ, if you put your faith in him, you can read Isaiah 61 like this, I would suggest. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on Jesus because the Lord has anointed Jesus to proclaim good news to me. He has sent Jesus to bind up my broken heart, to proclaim freedom from me and release me from the darkness of prison, to comfort me, to provide for me, to bestow on me a crown of beauty, oil of joy, and garments of praise. This is our story, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what God has done for me and for you if you're in him. Our testimonies are great. We love testimonies. They're wonderful. They speak of this transformation. But often they're focused on one outworking. because We've only got time. We've only understood a, a strand of it. It's an outworking of that total transformation. It's real, it's true, it's happened, but it's because of something deeper. So I might testify to you how as a teenager, at one stage, I was gripped with anxiety. I used to run home from school at lunchtime and break the rules because I was so afraid, so full of fear, so tearful about what the future was going to involve for me going to big school. Gripped in these things. And you might have similar testimonies because I no a release from that. Having put my faith in Jesus, I've known peace in a different way. Yeah, sometimes things challenge me and I can feel a little bit of worry, but it's a different deal altogether. And for you, the story may be something similar but different. It may be that you had an addiction. That is now gone as you've put your faith in Jesus. You were a violent person, and now you're a calm person since you've put your faith in Jesus. That Your behavior has changed in some way. For some of you, it might be your attitudes have changed. I was bitter. I had hatred in my heart. That has dissolved. Now I've put my faith in Jesus. We have these kind of stories having come to Christ. We want to tell them, and they're good to tell. But they all speak of a a deeper thing of a more fundamental change and transformation that Jesus has done. Because you say, Christianity, it isn't just a patch up job. It's not a self-help program alongside all the others on the shelf. It's not about me being the best me I can be. It's not just a simple upgrade of a model of me. No, it's about being completely set free. That's what he's done for me. Transformed me. What is it then that Jesus has set us free from if we're in Christ? Is it our inhibitions? Well, he's done a bit of that. I used to sit on the back row with my hands in my pocket and then on the front row, but it's not, it's not the inhibition. God, that's God's sense of humour, by the way. Some of that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's my story, but it's not, it's, it's, it's deeper than that. Oh, is he, is he helped me over, overcome my struggles or my past pains? Yes, but it's deeper than that. What has Jesus set us free from? I've listed a few for you here. He's set us free from sin, which otherwise I'd have to own on the day of vengeance when it comes. Whether I'm alive or dead in this world, the day of vengeance I'll have to face. But he set me free from sin. I've put my faith in Jesus. He set me free from the addiction of sin, the power of sin. It enslaved me that even when I, or if I got to a point of saying, I don't want to do those bad things or think those bad things anymore, even willpower wasn't enough to change me. He set me free from that. He set me free from the law. Now, the law was good. It was great. It, It helped me identify sin. It pointed it out to me, but it never lifted a finger to help me. He set me free from that. I'm free from the law. Hallelujah. He set me free from death. Donald Tusk had a few things to say (laughs) this last week, suggesting that there was a special place in hell for unprepared Brexiteers. You have to be careful how you responded, because you might have, uh, yeah, anyway. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, there was a special place in hell for me, irrespective of how I voted at the referendum, by the way. I'm not going to tell you that today. But uh, my, my eternal destiny was hell, death, eternal. And that's been averted. That's freedom. I've been set free from that prison. I've been set free from Satan. He had a claim over my life because of my rebellion in God, towards God, even from birth. It was there. I was steeped in it. He set me free from that. So total is our transformation in Christ. We gain a new identity, a new owner, a new purpose. Beautifully expressed in our verse uh, at the end of uh, verse 3. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We were once spiritually poor condemned as sinful, but now our new identity is as oaks of righteousness, oaks alive, living, enduring forever, strong in all circumstances. We're oaks of something, of righteousness. So righteous as Jesus made me, it's my name. I haven't got a middle name. My name is Timothy Maiton. I haven't got a middle name. Not on my uh, you know, birth certificate anyhow, but I've just been given one here. Righteous. What? Tim, right, that doesn't sound ridiculous, Lord. Yes, oaks of righteousness. That's where you are now. And it's not because of what you've done. It's how Jesus has transformed you and set you free into. And now somehow by my faith in Jesus, all the perfect, complete, sinless obedience of Jesus is mine. Wow homes of righteousness we have a new name we were once satan's prisoners but now we have a new owner the lord is our owner we're now his plant he's planted us we're in his forest now of the lord for something we have a new purpose once my purpose just seemed to be sorrow just seemed to be my destiny but now my purpose is to display something of god to the world Something of his glory. Something of his splendor. I'm meant to reflect it. I can now reflect it. And the whole world can look on and see how awesome God is. That's who we are. That's our new purpose. Our our lives have meaning now. Wow. I just want to flick through to verse 10 and 11 of chapter 61. This is Isaiah speaking for himself now. It's like his encore. He's now testifying like we can, to being totally transformed by Jesus. You'll recognize some of the phrases. He's mixed them around a little bit because we can do that. But the sentiment is there. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adores his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the young plant come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you invited him to totally transform your life? not don't wait don't wait for the day of vengeance when you die or Jesus returns it will be too late come now to Jesus while you have the chance this Jesus who while remaining God chose to be born into poverty for us who chose to live a life of sorrows for us Who chose to allow his body and his heart to be broken at the cross for us. This anointed one who chose to receive the full vent of God's vengeance for us. Who chose to break into the prison of death for us. And then break out and rise to life victorious. You know, if you're in Christ already, there's so much more for you, I believe, to take hold of and experience from Isaiah 61. You may think, I know that's true, but some of it I'm experiencing, some of it I'm not quite feeling. Well, the truth is the truth. And there's more for you to experience and take hold of. And we could spend our time now just in ministry around that theme. But I I do believe that God wants us to look one more time at who's talking here. It's us. White Is It's us? Yes, it's us. Us, Christ's church. We have come out now of Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 to 3. We now are the oaks of righteousness. We now need to go back in again at the top and read it for ourselves. We need to be the anointed ones in this world. We need to own this. We need to speak it for ourselves. What? Really? Yes. Not blasphemous. It's not claiming that we're the Messiah, capital M. What are we? We're Christians. Christians. We're little Christs. We're the body of Christ. We're the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus has won victorious. He's seated on the throne in heaven. But he sent his body, the church, not alone, but with the same anointing, the same promise, the same power and enabling. We need to be the anointed ones. What do you want to see for the remainder of your life? That was a good question. Well, just thinking immediately, I want to see these nine alpha guests that are coming along totally transformed by the love and power of Jesus. We're used to seeing, Lord, two, three. Out of nine or ten, come through. We want to see all nine transformed by Jesus. I want to see members of my extended family, every single one of them, even of the generation who are now dying out. Come to the knowledge of Jesus and be saved. I want to see the young generations have an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want the church in the UK to grow and be sizable like it's never done before. I want it to go beyond all the boundaries of our history books. I want to see again that the values that this nation seems to hold so closely reflect more and more the biblical God-kingdom values that we read about. I want to see things like the sustainability conundrum solved how is that going to be squared how's the world going to live within its means i want to see a church that's solving these things providing hope i want to see a recalibration of the economics on this planet so that people in venezuela people in zimbabwe people in the west can have provision i want to see an evolution of our health care and our social care system because we've got an aging population and the needs are increasing how are all these things going to get done what is the hope of the world church anointed by the spirit on monday morning and on tuesday afternoon and on wednesday evening in our workplaces in our schools when we come together it's the church what does a spirit filled church look like what is this special anointing that this prophetic word we've been looking at over these last weeks mean what is it what is what is it what is it Sorry if you've not been around these last few weeks. Of course, we want the Holy Spirit's presence. We want to be so aware of God's presence. We do. That that bodies are shaking, that we're falling down under the glory and the weight of Him. We want to see that. We want to experience those things. We want, of course, we want everybody who comes to faith in Christ to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, for this initial uh, overcoming of the Spirit to be experienced, that they they have an encounter with the power and love of the Holy Spirit, that they're never the same again. We want to see, don't we, the the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation, the supernatural ones. Yes, of course, we want all those things, but let me suggest to you, a truly Spirit-filled church is one that sees more and more people set free. Totally, utterly, completely transformed. And then to go on with us, seeing that transformation spread throughout our land, through our communities, through our organizations, through our nation, and the nations of this world. Amen? Amen. We want to see that. The world needs a church that can stand up and say, in full confidence, without a whisper, a hint of arrogance, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, is on us, is on the church, because the Lord has anointed us to proclaim good news to bind up the broken, to proclaim freedom, to see release from darkness, to proclaim the favor of the Lord, to comfort, to provide, to see beauty where there's ugliness, to see joy where there's been sorrow, to see praise where there's been despair. Can you say that, church? Can, are you ready to say that, church? I want to be able to say that like that, with full confidence, without a hint, of arrogance, just as Jesus did. Not because we're divine, but he is. We've already had that message. We know that, okay? We've got our right place. We know where we are. Let's, let, let, let's embrace this. I would encourage us to stand at this moment, if you will. Um, maybe a bit of guitar ring in a minute. Jim. Um, I'd like to invite you, it's a simple thing here. Do you want more of the Holy Spirit like this? I guess I'm speaking to the church here. but You're very welcome if you're not from us. Stay included. Brothers sisters in the Lord. He has a special anointing, and it's for us. We've seen things, we've tasted things, we have much to be thankful for. But if you're like me, and you want to see so much more, the only answer I know of that this scripture points me to again and again is to ask for more and more of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, like it is me. I invite you to come forward. To pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. I don't know how he's going to come. I don't know if we're going to get it all at once. or well, this is the start of something over these coming weeks. Going to unpack Acts chapter 1 to 4, where the Spirit came on those early disciples. There's so much more. Let's just open our hearts, open our hands as a gesture. of saying, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you, your grace found me. Thank you, I have a new identity. My name is righteous. I didn't earn it. Thank you, I have a new owner. I belong to the Lord. No one else has a claim over me. Thank you, you've filled my life now with meaning and purpose. Little old me, little old us. To magnify the name of Jesus. Oh, wow. So Holy Spirit. We ask right now. With full faith, confidence in Jesus. Come, come, come upon us now. Fall, anoint us.